Okay, we're ready to get started on numbers. And uh, we left off kind of in a sort of different spot uh, than normal. We uh, went through chapter 10, verse 10. So we broke through a new chapter, but didn't complete it. Um, so just very short kind of recap uh, of up until now, we have seen basically the structure of the tribes of Israel after they have left um, Egypt and kind of how they're divided up uh, when they are setting up camp with the Levites in the middle uh, with the tabernacle and with um, the east, south, west, and north sides divided up uh, three tribes each and, and who's in what tribe and that sort of thing. Um, and so it's been a lot of detail about um, just how the formations were, a lot of detail about the Levites in particular and their um, role as far as taking care of um, the holy things and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and we're about to go into a narrative. We're going to start a narrative here, um, which numbers is to me kind of interesting that way uh, that where you've got Leviticus, um, where there is so much of... Um, just sort of God's authority and rule um, with maybe a narrative here or there. Numbers seems to me to be uh, more of a mix um, throughout the whole book. So um, so anyway, we're jumping into a narrative section just to kind of set the framework for what we're about to look at. And before we go in chapter by chapter, I was just going to open it up for any uh, observations that you ladies had and um, anything that stuck out to you during this section of reading. Um, and before we get started, just so everybody knows who knows who is here, we've got Joe Hersey, Elizabeth Straczynski, and Sherry Wright, uh, along with myself, the nobody. So, Summer Malden. Okay. All right. It, ladies, uh, what observations did y'all have in the section as a whole? Elizabeth, we can start with you. So... I, think, I thought a really strong theme from chapters 11 and 12 specifically was complaining. And it's very, it's frustrating to read, and it's definitely frustrating for God um, to hear us complain about things and to hear his people complain about stuff. And it was, I don't know, it was kind of a hard read for me. Because it's like, you literally got delivered out of slavery, and you're seeing <laughs> Mount Sinai literally on fire, mm -hmm. and then the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that's leading you around and you're going to say I wish we had fish and cucumbers <laughs> right. like I wouldn't be complaining over fish and cucumbers if I was, if I was well I can't say that I probably would <laughs> um, so also opening our eyes to see we're probably not much better than them sure we would like to try to be yeah. but when when it comes down to it we probably aren't yeah human problems are still human problems so all right Sherry what about you Oh, kind of the, the same thing uh, jumped out at me. I think, I think um, Numbers eleven one, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. That I feel like is the central theme of the entire book of Numbers. Yeah. Um, I raised my children on that. Mm -hmm. Like that was our memory verse. Um, that's the verse that we used to describe Numbers, and that's the verse that we used a lot of the times. Right. Um, in raising my children. What does Numbers 11 one say? When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. <laughs> and and uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's sort of the major theme of this. Um, also, just, um, I'll probably talk about this later, but um, 
structurally, this is the beginning of two different chiasms. Okay. Um, we've talked about the chiasm situation before, and um, it's just a fancy word for symmetry. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a way of organizing um, the thoughts. And it's sort of like um, when you read poetry. It's organized, it has, a, it has an overarching theme, it has a beginning and an end, um, and each, if it's a long poem, it might have sections that, that are organized in a certain way, and then, and then it has even individual verses that are organized in a certain way. And so it helps you to remember the poem. Uh, it's just like how we organize everything in our life. You have a, you have a, a closet. Inside the closet, you have a cubby. Inside mm -hmm. the, a bunch of cubbies. You have inside each one of the cubbies, things are organized in a certain way. And so if you think of it that way, um, it's, it's a good way to organize the Bible in your mind. Right. You know, you go to this particular mm -hmm. cubby and mm -hmm. pull out the book of Numbers mm -hmm. or whatever. And then within that, it's organized in this way. So um, this is the beginning of, there's an there's a overall chiasm that starts in Numbers 10, 11, that goes through Joshua 24, okay. 33, which is the end of the book of Joshua. That's that's a big chiasm. Um, and then there's a shorter one that starts here that goes through uh, chapter 21 of the book of Numbers. Okay. And so um, they, they both have different center, obviously, and, and they both... Um, it had a different purpose, but... Um, Would you so, mind, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Would you mind repeating that shorter okay. end? So you the said... The shorter one is from, uh, starts in Numbers 10, 11. Right. And goes through um, chapter 21. Okay, thank you. Of the book of Numbers. And that one, um, that one is kind of the one that we're kind of narrowing down on right now because that one is basically the wilderness journey. Yeah. The wilderness journey, they start out in, in chapter 10, verse 11, and they get to the plains of Moab at the end of uh, chapter 21. Okay. And so that's like, it, that's arranged as a chiasm. Um, it's a 13-part it's a chiasm. Um, so usually it's either like five, seven, it's an mm -hmm. odd number because you have something in the middle. In the middle. Right. Um, and so this, uh, this has seven parts on one side and seven parts on uh, and seven parts on the other side with with the one in the middle included in both so <clears throat> so um in the center of this is the budding of aaron's rod mm -hmm. um and at the ends of it are the journey begins the journey ends um and you know in the middle you have um the you have complaints complaints about manna and uh and no food. Um, in the second section, and the second to last section, um, you have uh, Miriam punished for her sin. In the third section, in the third to last, it's Aaron is punished for his sin. Right. Um, in the next, in the fourth section, and the fourth to last section, you have the rebellion. One is uh, both of them are at Kadesh. Um, 
one is Korah's rebellion, and the other one is um, uh, 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 Moses and Aaron's mistake for hitting the rock instead mm -hmm. of speaking to the rock. Uh, then you have number the fifth section. You have ritual regulations, and fifth to last section you also have ritual regulations. So we're going to go through some more ritual things. Um, then so. So as, as we start in the fifth section, fifth, five, six, and seven are about holiness again. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why that's in the center, because that's the most important thing. Um, th then you have the holiness of Aaron above the Levites challenged mm -hmm. um, in the sixth section. And um, then in the sixth to last section, you have holiness, the holiness of Aaron above the Levites explained. And then in the center, you have Aaron's rod budding, which describes why Aaron is at the top of the right. at the top of the uh, chart for the Levites. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's sort of the general structure of the chiasm that we have that starts that starts starts and ends in numbers, but basically is the wilderness wandering. Yeah. Okay. Great. And uh, mm. just a quick note on that on the wilderness wanderings. Um, just for reference that you're you're talking about when we're looking at the Bible story as a whole and this part of the Bible story that you know we commonly would call wilderness wandering mm -hmm. um, just for anybody who that might sound foreign to or whatever <clears throat> that's that reference that's not um, necessarily a, a biblical, biblical thing per se except it's what we're you know, labeling, that's what happened during mm -hmm. that time. Right. So, okay. And uh, Joe, was there anything in addition to that that you wanted to bring out before we started walking through? Maybe one minor point mm -hmm. um, that the Israelites, it says in verse 4 of chapter 11, yielded to intense craving. So it's like they didn't even, as Elizabeth said, there was Mount Sinai, Right there, mm -hmm. there was um, the smoke leading them by day and the fire at night and all these things. They had just come out of Egypt and seen all the powers of God and, and they don't even try to fight this, what they call intense craving, intense craving which makes you think maybe that they were um, uh, somewhat belligerent about it. Mm -hmm. But when they had food that fell from every day right it's easy to gather and obviously from God you can see why God was unhappy with displeased him. yes just yeah <laughs> displeased is, is the right word isn't it um so the only thing in addition to that that I that was a to me reoccurring message I guess through this section is Moses's frustration throughout uh, all this and especially when he is you know calling out crying out to God and you know basically saying look why have you I mean have I borne these children you know am I why why am I having to be responsible for all of these babies you know and and take care of them and, and all that kind of stuff and um, and it just, it, it made me stop and think about, you know, how we're told in scriptures um, that Moses was the most meek man on earth. And I think it would have to require somebody. And it was just, it's interesting to me that rather than someone like a Jehu, who's going to go and annihilate all the people who need annihilating, 
God knew who was required, and it was somebody who did have the meekness, you know, to to be able to to accomplish this. And then also, kind of, I guess, juxtaposed to that is Moses was not just within himself equipped to do all of that alone, and God provided the support needed for him to accomplish what God had put before him. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of where my mind focused on this section in particular is Moses and, and kind of what he's going through and God's, uh, God's provisions, you know, for him, um, as opposed to, you know, the whiny people that I always, you know, it's just so easy to get frustrated with is, of course, we can see it from way over here, you know, and it's harder when it's us. So anyway, okay, we better jump in or we will run out of time. So um, starting in Numbers chapter 10 and beginning in verse 11, um, I'm going to read there. uh, Let's see. I say that. I'm getting a little intimidated looking at the number of verses. How about we do this? We'll summarize. We'll stick with our summary um, just for time's sake. Um, So the first section uh, that I wanted to cover here um, basically is going to go through verse 28 um, of Numbers chapter 10. Um, so we're starting in, starting out in verse 11 um, with a timestamp, the 20th day of the second month in the second year. And Sherry, I won't reiterate, but you had gone by, back last time to say this is the first year that they had actually celebrated the Passover, right? Is that correct? Am I mm-hmm. remembering that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so now we're looking at um, them getting on the move. The cloud uh, is taken up from the tabernacle and now they're beginning their journey. So we're going to go run through uh, how they leave and that's starting in verse 14 where the um, the tribe of Judah sets out and you know that's we've we've already kind of covered that previously in this book of they're going to be the first ones to set out. And we're running into a question here for myself because then it says that the tabernacle is carried out, not the next one. So previously it was going to be east, south, Levites, and then west and north, I believe. But here it says tabernacle is going to be carried out and then the southern tribes, then the Kohathites, and then the western tribes and then the northern tribes <clears throat> but it goes on to, but it says uh in verse 21 that the the Kohathites set out carrying the articles for the sanctuary and then kind of an explanation the tabernacle was to be set up before they arrived so i'm assuming that's the reason for the difference mm-hmm. there of those who are carrying out the tabernacle kind of going ahead a little bit, as it were, mm-hmm. get that set up so that when the Kohathites come, they can set up the articles mm-hmm. and that it's, everything is ready for that uh, to give a little spacing is is mm-hmm. what my, my assumption is there based on that explanation mm-hmm. in verse 21. And Sherry's giving me some, mm-hmm, yeah, so I'm going to say that's, that's, my, that's my assumption. Okay, so we're going to go with that as gospel. So um, anyway, so the next section, well, that ends that section. Let me just pause there. Um, 
with verse 28 where it says, these were the traveling arrangements of the Israelites according to their companies when they traveled. So um, in that section, and it's, you know, very straightforward. Um, those were the only things that I had, you know, pulled out and noticed um, because obviously, and it's just, it's neat to me. Let me just pause this to say that order and going through that would not have hit me before if I if we were not going through at the pace that we are and looking at it more carefully, it would have just been, oh yeah, yeah, the children, you know, they get up the tent and they go, you know. But it is interesting to me how many times things come back to things dealing with the tribes over and over and specific things about the tribes that we ought to know and do play you know, a, a role of importance. So anyway, um, so I do just want to put a plug in there if I haven't, you know, beat that horse enough that this really does, it, it brings out more and more things that you just don't realize are there um, just at a quick read through. So anyway, um, I'll be quiet. You ladies, what, what did y'all pull from that first section through 28? Well, um, the only thing I would add to what you said was that, um, the cloud lifts, and it says the cloud lifted in, in verses 11 through 13, the cloud lifted, and um, it settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So um, so just um, a reminder that the cloud equals God, equals God's presence. So the cloud lifts, the cloud moves, they move because they're following God. And that's going to be um, important in the rest of the in the next couple of chapters as well, um, when when in, in the rest of the Old Testament. But when when the cloud is there, God is there. When the cloud's not there, God's not there. Yeah. Um, if the cloud moves, then He's moved. So they follow Him. Um, <clears throat> so they follow the cloud. But um, um, just just to re just that just that. That's mentioned several times, in, even in this reading, that the cloud moved, mm -hmm. and so then they moved. Yeah. Okay. All right, Elizabeth, anything else to pull out of that section? Yes, I actually had a couple of extra things. The Just to get kind of a timeline thing, which we've already touched on, this is the 20th day of the second month. So this is after the second opportunity to celebrate the Passover. And so we're not leaving until we make sure everyone has celebrated the Passover. Mm -hmm. I thought that was important to bring out. Yeah. Um, and then something that I kind of thought was interesting was the, the spacing of the Levites and having enough time to set up the tabernacle. When I just look at numbers and it's like the the numbers of it, not the book of numbers. <laughs> and there's like, oh, there's 14,000 people. My brain cannot, like, mm -hmm. make that make sense because it's such a huge number, I just can't comprehend it. But then if you look and just one group of people migrating is enough time, like, one chunk out of this massive group is enough time for them to set up the entire tabernacle, and we've already read how elaborate it is and how much stuff there was. That clicks better for me. Mm -hmm. That this is a ton of people that you could like build a house yeah. in the time it takes for a quarter of them to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that that mm -hmm. stuck a lot more with me in this. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted to bring up was um, the last group, uh, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali being the rear guard. Because mm -hmm. um, we see that language used sometimes to describe God, how like he's got our back. 
they are almost as important as the first group because they're making sure you don't get attacked from behind. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I thought that was really cool because we're, we're always emphasizing the camp of Judah and how it's in the east and it is the light, it is where salvation is coming from. But I don't think we need to sleep on the rear guard making, making yeah. sure they're safe from behind. Yeah. And that's what I, you bring that out is interesting. It makes me think of other passages where Dan in particular is brought out as the stronghold, you know, that is, you know, sort of a mighty um, tribe, it seems like. So anyway, I'll be looking for for other places where that's found, but that some are coming to mind automatically. So that's pretty cool. Um, Joe, anything else from there before we move on? Okay. All right. <clears throat> so the next section is uh, 29 through the rest of the chapter. And I'm just going to go ahead and go through a quick summary of that um, where we've got, an, and here is a, a question I have. I, I'm not sure on the names here uh, because in other places um, we've got Jethro, we've got Ruel, um, and then Hobab here. So I just, uh, anyway, question about that later, putting that aside. So Moses says to his father-in-law, um, the Midianite, uh, that they're going to, they're about to go journey and he is entreating him to come along and he just kindly says no. Um, and then Moses says, um, if you come in verse 32, if you come with us, it is certain that whatever things, good things the Lord will favor us with, he will share with you. Um, and I just, I, it's such an interesting section to me because it is so, to me, it seems reminiscent of, you know, God's attitude of like the continual invitation, but never forcing, you know, just, hey, you will be blessed. You will be, you know, and anyway, and that's just, that stuck out to me as I was reading through that. Um, but anyway, verse 33, they begin to travel from the mountain um, three days and then and the they've got the Ark of the Covenant going in front of them three days journey um, to find a resting place for them and then um, when the Ark uh, whenever it would travel Moses would call out and say rise up O Lord may your enemies be scattered and may those who hate you flee before you um, and then he's got a, a saying for when it would rest, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. And again, to Elizabeth's point, uh, it is, you know, that there are so many times in the book of Numbers in particular where that thought is, is I don't want to say shocking, but it is just one of those like, it is just hard for me to wrap my brain around. Yes, there were many thousands and they weren't. In this time, they weren't settled, and that is an. It is just such a mind-blowing thought to me to have that amount of people caravanning anywhere. You know, um, so anyway, it just it kind of stood out to me. Um, so sorry, I interrupted that with my thoughts on the the narrative there, um, but uh, I'm sorry, but the. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, I meant to do the narrative and then do the stands out, but three days journey. Now, I don't know what that means, but it is, it's just something that stands out of hmm, three days. That sounds familiar, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I don't know 
you know, necessarily the connection and Sherry may bring that out, but I feel like there's got to be, there does have to be connections and I don't know if, I'm not comfortable enough to make the leap to other three day passages, but I do, it just jumped out as an observation, I guess is what I'm trying to say there. Um, And then uh, what Sherry had already alluded to about the emphasis here where the cloud uh, being where the Lord was and that being their focus of wherever that's going, that's where they're headed. Um, so Elizabeth, do you want to start off first and then Sherry? Sure. So I, I also had a hard time with the names. I, I think somewhere I had read or made some sort of conclusion with myself that Raul and Jethro are the same person in different names. So I took Hobab to mean Moses's brother-in-law um sherry's nodding so i think i'm i'm going on the right track with that um i really did like your point about how there's an open invitation but it's never going to be forced and i think that's it's really interesting that there's not a conclusion to that like there's not a verse 32.2 that says and he came with them or he went and departed to his own people like it doesn't really say what happened Mm-hmm. So we don't really know, which I think kind of helps the ambiguity, or the ambigu- ambiguity of it helps make the point that God is not forcing anyone to do anything, mm-hmm. but does promise blessings if they do decide to follow him. Uh, I am also not willing to make the jump about the three days journey. I'll leave that one for <laughs> Sherry, or we will just um, punt that one indefinitely. Um, I really liked the the last two verses and when I was reading in New American Standard I've got ESV right now but in New American Standard it had it formatted like a like a poem um which I thought was really cool because we know that Moses wrote psalms and stuff and that's probably something they would have sung along the way and I think that's really cool it reminds me of uh, people who have like Bible verses right by their door or above their door as a reminder before you go out to always um, be thinking about representing God, carrying um, him with you, asking for his guidance. I, I really like that this is what Moses says every time they set out and when they settle down, always being conscious of God's presence with them, but also recognizing your need for him to be with you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool and a really interesting practice for us if we wanted to like start saying something or invoking something similar just to keep God at the forefront of our minds as we're going throughout our day. Mm-hmm. And not to get too far off onto that, but um, just recently I had uh, heard a couple of comments on that of things in our language and other people's in other languages where in past time, it was just very commonplace to have those. I mean, you think about the Irish blessing, um, you know, and then also uh, adios is actually to God, but people have smashed it together and it's, you know, it's become goodbye, you know, and people don't think of it. But originally it was adios to God mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So anyway, I just, I do think there is something to that, that, you know, let's, let's make that cool again, you know, I mean, <laughs> but it, it is, it has been lost, I think, and it would be great to bring that back into actual vernacular. Mm-hmm. All right, Sherry. 
Um, okay, so I concur that Hobab is Moses' brother-in-law. Yes, thank in you. Fact, I misread um, that. I'm so sorry. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, a different translation because I have uh, the ESV where it says, Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Yeah, so, that's fine. But I think I, I misread that, Sherry, because I read Hobab as the Midianite. Moses, you know, I, oh, okay. anyway, okay. I, okay. So, I misread. Yeah. I think yeah. Hobab was his brother-in-law. So yes. basically... And I don't know if that if that indicates that um, Jethro, who Jethro and Ruel, same guy. Um, I don't know if that means he was dead and now Hobab is in charge now, mm-hmm. or if that just means that Hobab is sort of taking over the position of head of that family, um, because it could be either one mm-hmm. um, or both. Um, uh, and so. Um, uh, it, it, what what impresses me about this exchange between them is um, that respect that Moses has for his father-in-law and the and the family. Like mm-hmm. he, they, uh, Jethro came to um, to help to encourage Moses and to give him advice, and Moses still appreciates that advice. Because he says, you know, you guys know this. Basically, what he's saying is, you know the area mm-hmm. better than we do. So we would really appreciate you coming with us so that you can get a feel for where we're going and what, you know, what lies ahead because you know the area mm-hmm. and we don't. And so I really appreciate your continuing to be, act in an advisory capacity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so um, uh, I think that I think that um, and 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 I think that they did uh, go along because we'll see later that there's provisions made for the Kenites, which is which is that family. Yeah. That's that's Jethro slash Ruel slash Hobab's family, the Kenites, and we see them later among the the um, the people in the land. Yeah. Um, when they conquer the land, so um, so uh, and just that I, I think what Moses is saying is, um, you know that God's going to bless us, mm-hmm. and so we're willing to pass that on to you as well. Like it's not just blessings for us. Yeah. You're coming with us. You're helping us out. Those we're we're going to share that 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 blessing with you. Mm-hmm. And so I just um, I'm just impressed by Moses's. Um, Respect for his father-in-law's family and for their um, for their position and um, uh, for their um, help mm-hmm. uh, in in making the journey with them. Um, and he even says, "I think um, you will serve as eyes for us." So, in other words, you're going to go on, maybe go on ahead and mm-hmm. scope things out, and you know, let us know. You know what's going on up ahead, so Moses, of course, relying on God, but also you know using the tools that he has, which is you know I, I believe that that uh, Jethro's family was a tool that Moses could use to sort of help out mm-hmm. uh, with the situation because he's done it before. Um, uh, Jethro has given him advice that wasn't advice that came directly from God, but it was approved by God, and Moses thought eh, that's a pretty good idea. Right. Um, so. Um, uh, that impresses me about this, about that section more than anything. Um, 
the three days journey, I, you know, I didn't even think of it being cryptic or anything. I just thought, okay, it, it says that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. So, of course, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't ahead of everybody. It was yeah. just ahead of the bulk of the people. Mm -hmm. um, possibly, um, I, I just thought, okay, with this many people, three days journey, I don't know that there would necessarily have to be a break in the in the action, right. like they could take up that much space. Yeah, sure. You know, with the Ark of the Covenant being three days ahead, and this they're still on a line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're still right. a continuous line. So, so um, I think that they could cover that much real estate. So, um, that's the only thing that stood out to me about that. Yeah. And then just um, the the fact that Moses kind of starts this tradition of of um, it, it kind of reminds me of the traditions we used to have. At events, you know, it's like the the convocation mm -hmm. and the benediction. You know, right. I start everything out with a prayer, end it with a prayer. Right. And um, and I think that's um, just commendable, and 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 it's it, it indicates that that he did he did that every time they every time they left, every time they got there, it was like okay, God's going before us. Now God's God's staying among us, mm -hmm. and and just asking God to do that and continue to be with them. Yeah, really cool. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and jump into uh, Numbers chapter eleven, and uh, Elizabeth, would you mind just uh, walking through the narrative for us there, just a summary, and then we'll pull out observations. Yeah, of course. So once they start moving, the people start complaining. And it didn't take them very long. And the main thing that they're complaining about is their food. And in the first couple of verses, the anger of the Lord burns against the people he hears complaining. And it's actual fire. And it consumes people. And they cry out to Moses. And Moses cries out to God. And I have thoughts about that. But I'll, I'll keep moving and then, as Joe brought out in the introduction, it talks about them having strong cravings and like this uncontrollable desire for specifically meat, fish, onions, uh, garlic, cucumbers, and they're just complaining about all the good food that they had in Egypt. And even talking about like wanting to go back to Egypt because they had all this food. And then there's this little side point about the manna, and the manna doesn't actually sound that bad. It just kind of sounds like flour or little cakes that you can mm -hmm. boil up and eat. And it might be a little bland, but it's it's food right. from mm -hmm. heaven <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Like, right. I feel like that itself would be pretty impressive. Yeah. And people are crying over this. And Moses hears them weeping, and he is just, he is frustrated. <clears throat> God is mad. Moses is frustrated. And when Moses is frustrated, he kind of, he doesn't lash out at God. I don't think this came from a bad place because of the way that God responds to it. Mm -hmm. But he is, he is really frustrated and vents that, talking about like, did I, did I birth these people? Why am I having to take care of them? Why am I their nursemaid or their mom? Like, if you think back to Exodus, Moses didn't really want to do this. He had to be convinced into doing this, and he might be rethinking his job. <laughs> um, and so he basically says, God, tells God, 
if this is how it's going to be, you may as well just kill me because mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. This is too hard for me. Yeah. Um, so a little dramatic, but <laughs> understandable given the circumstances. Look, I related to him, and I appreciate you calling him dramatic, but go ahead. <laughs> and I was also thinking about, like, Elijah. Yeah. And he's just hiding from God, and he's like, I want to die, and he really just needed a nap. Yeah. So I, I also related. So... God tells Moses to gather up 70 men, and we've, we've talked about the kind of significance of certain numbers in the Bible, so I think 70 is significant. Um, and he calls them to the tent of meeting and says, they're going to have meat. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted meat. They're going to get meat, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a lot of it, as we'll see. Um, and Moses is like, where are we going to get this? And God God tells him, he rebukes him, basically saying, like, what, do I not have the power to get meat for all these people? Like, I can, I can do this. Why are you questioning me? And I thought it was really cool that the, the spirit of the Lord rested on the elders. Like, I think that's something that we associate more with the New Testament and even just with the book of Acts. But I think it's important that we see it here. And then there's a little side tangent of there were two people that were supposed to be called to the tabernacle but just, like, didn't go. And we don't know the circumstances, but they were also prophesying with the Spirit of the Lord upon them. And Joshua gets really upset at this. And I think this is the first time we see Joshua, um, who is the attendant of Moses. And it's like, hey, Moses, they're prophesying out there. Like, we need to do something about this. And Moses says, you know, I wish everyone, all the Lord's people would prophesy, um, that everyone would have the spirit of the Lord upon them, which I think is kind of applicable for us. But sticking with the narrative, this last little chunk, God is delivering on his promise to give them meat. And so there's quail all over the camp, two cubits high. I mean, they're literally drowning in quail. Which I can imagine looked very funny. But God did not find it funny. And while they were eating the quail, it like turned into a plague. Mm-hmm. And so the people that were eating the meat were struck down. And then they named the place because people got struck down because of their greediness, because of their cravings. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, there is obviously a lot here. And we're going to try to hit as much as we can before going into chapter 12. But um, Sherry, if you want to start us off with your observations through 11. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to make an observation that uh, that it, uh, that may just like, that I've just sort of flown over before. And that is that um, um, in verse 1, it says fire... It says that people complained, and then it says that the fi- that fire consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Okay, so what were the outlying parts? Like, it, it, it seems to me like the outlying parts would be the the hotbeds of complaint. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, like, if it was coming from, you know, the Levites or something, what, it would have been fire in the middle. But it's the outlying parts of the camp. And so... Um, um, I I consulted a couple of and then in verse four through six it says who who are the rabble among them so my question is who are the rabble it says the rabble among them had a strong craving who are the rabble 
Yeah. So like, mine says yeah. mixed multitude. Is that yeah. what you're yeah. referring to? So, okay. So the so yeah. So if you go back to Exodus chapter twelve and verse thirty-eight when they first started out, mm-hmm. it says that they started out from Egypt and a mixed multitude went with them. Mm-hmm. So who's the mixed multitude? It seems like I mean I consulted a couple of different. Uh, um, David Maxson said he thought that the mixed multitude was like not Israelites. They yeah, were that's like what I was Egyptians wondering. who wanted who who were like okay, God's out. with these people. I'm going with them. Right. Um, so they they weren't, um, and, and that would explain why they were on the outlying parts of the camp because they weren't included in the Israelites. But they were still there. I mean, we know that there were a mixed multitude with them. So where where were they camping? Outside the camp, I would think, because they weren't allowed inside the camp because they weren't clean. Mm-hmm. Um, then, um, uh, and so uh, when I listened to Gary Fisher, he just thought the rabble was just like people that were like good for nothing people. Yeah. Um, but David Maxson said he thought that the rabble were those mixed multitude Mm -hmm. um and so that would explain to me why um why it says that um where is it um uh where it says that um a A, that fire consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp Mm -hmm. and why um um why it says so it says this this is the complaint um oh that we had meat to eat we remember the fish and we ate that we ate in egypt that cost cost nothing the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions and the garlic well hello it did not cost them nothing right um but maybe those who were the rabble among them it did cost nothing Um, I mean, the Israelites, were, uh, they were slaves, so, like, yeah, it wasn't free. Yeah. Um, and so, and then it says, now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at, which is extremely ungrateful. Yeah. Like, I just hate looking at this stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, so, I would just, I was just thinking, possibly, that, not not that the Israelites themselves weren't complaining, right? But that maybe the complaints started there. Mm-hmm. Started with the people that were just the mixed multitude, that were mm-hmm. just sort of along for the ride. And now the going gets tough, and they're like, uh, yeah. you know, we had it better in Egypt, right? And um, so the, that stuck out to me. Um, then it says um, it's it says that. Um, <laughs> that it describes the manna, says what they could do with it as far as cooking mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and then it says in verse 10 that Moses was displeased. And I wonder if that's the same word, what it says that mm-hmm. when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. So displeased to me seems like kind of a mild word. Yeah. Like just sure. displeases me. Right. It's not like this <laughs> right. absolutely sets me on fire. Yeah. But I think that it probably set him on fire. Right. I think that it is like when God's displeased and he sends fire to kill some people, 
he's not just a little bit upset, yeah. upset about it. He's right. like totally, and so Moses, I felt, when Moses was also displeased, um, he's so displeased that he's ready to die. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's justifiable that he was frustrated and overburdened. Mm -hmm. um, he said that the burden is just too great for me. Yeah. Um, uh, and so um, it, it's interesting that this is like two stories that are like, because it's a story about the 70 elders, but it's also about the quail. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, so God answers Moses' request by sort of spreading out the 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 load on some other people, um, and then and then uh, and then you know he answers also answers the people's complaint about the quail and you know says okay you want meat here's meat mm -hmm. um, um, just um, and so I wonder also in that same um, in that in that same theme of the rabble or the mixed multitude where it says, while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Um, then it, it's, it says in verse 33 that he was, it was, it says, while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. Uh, and in another version that I read is the people that, we're eating the meat with the people with the cravings. Right. And so it's like, okay, so not everybody was right. craving. Mm -hmm. um, just the people that were, um, that were, <laughs> that were complaining. And, and so I wonder if that is a lot of the people that were like sort of the mixed multitude. Mm -hmm. um, um, but it says a very great plague and it struck down the people that with the cravings. So, um, Anyway, I just, uh, I just, I'm just continually um, sort of amazed by the, the um, ingratitude where they say, we hate looking at this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically that's what they're saying. Right. All we have is this stuff to look at, mm -hmm. which is food from God. Yeah. That, falls down every day. It tastes like don't have to fresh do olive oil. It tastes like cakes. It tastes like cakes that are made with oil. Okay. Yeah. What's not to like there? <laughs> um, but um, And there's all these different ways you can cook it, so it's not just like the same right. stuff all the time. I don't know. It's just... Um, um, I, I, can't I, don't know. I can't imagine being fed with cakes all the time and then saying, I wish I had some quail <laughs> right you know, or I wish I had a piece of chicken breast yeah just yeah <laughs> right well I mean to me and that's what that was my note there is just it's it shows a total dissatisfaction not no contentment with you know uh I mean and beyond contentment but no appreciation like you were saying mm -hmm. for um you know like the fact that they are so many people and alive by the grace of God, literally by the grace of God. You know, there's just no recognition of that at all. Um, anyway, uh, Joe, was there any? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sure. No, that's fine. The, the only other thing was that uh, I'm just looking at this now. 
was that 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 Moses said, "How are you going to do it?" I I think it just shows the total frustration that Moses is going through right now. Yeah. That he would even ask God after all God has done, after bringing them across the Red Sea on dry land, for Moses to say, "How are you going to even do that? Like, how are you going to feed all these people? There's six hundred thousand men, and what are you like? Are we going to just like slaughter a bunch of sheep? I mean, like, how is this going to happen?" And God's like. Really? <laughs> right. Like, is my hand that short? Right. Like, now you based ask. on what you've seen so far, what do you think? Right. I know. I do. I do love his. You know, yeah. and poor Moses. If all the fish of the sea were caught, would they have enough? Well, I mean, he would be the one who could do that. So yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Um, Joe, was there anything else that you had from that chapter? I know we're flying through, but our time is getting away uh, yeah, from just chapter a short, 11. Just sure. a quick, I know we've already touched on this, but um, their ungratefulness. And, okay, 600,000 men plus their families and children, and and, and and they have food. I mean, and enough for all of them. And it, I know we, I'm beating a dead horse, but that many people need food, and, and you're not just grateful that, I mean, because there's no way they could take care of it themselves out there. Yeah, You're not no, just grateful exactly. that it's there and all you have to do is pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So, I mean, and we joke about first world problems, but that is what I think, you know, when I see this is like, oh, well, I mean, you know, it's been going around a while. So, <laughs> anyway, but I, I, one more thing that um, just to bring out from here real quick before we wrap up with Chapter 12 is... Um, and it's been lightly touched on, but the burden is too great. Um, mm -hmm. I, just that thought of, um, it does seem like that theme is, kind of seems like the whole point that God tries to get every single person to um, is to realize, yes, without me, the burden is too great. Um, and Moses recognizing that and not... And, and God being able to get him to the point of, but you can still do it because I'm here, you know, and, and again, his hand is not shortened. Um, but anyway, that was just uh, impressive to me. And again, just that was something that jumped out uh, from this chapter in particular is, you know, Moses recognizing it is too great. And just, you know, personally for me, that reminder of it will always be too great if I am not relying upon God to give me the strength, give me the things that I need to, to do whatever I need to do. So, um, okay, moving on to 12, because we've got to like fly through this. Um, uh, just the very quick summary is, this is where, is very familiar to a lot of us, but Miriam and Aaron get uh, frustrated. They give sort of this uh, false accusation um, uh, to, uh, out of, Frustration. They're they're really upset because he's married this Cushite woman, but they go um, and say, "Well, I mean, God has spoken through us too, right? It's not just Moses." And it seems sort of like this jealousy thing. Um, and the Lord uh, immediately, um, it says, the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of tent and called everybody. It's like, okay, we're taking care of this real fast. Mm -hmm. And they come and um, he, you know said, here's why I've chosen Moses, and no one needs to speak against him because I have chosen him. And then uh, Miriam ends up becoming leprous. Aaron is, you know, 
repents immediately, please, you know, save her is, you know, the desperate cry. And, um, and, uh, Moses does call out to God and basically God says, well, I mean, she will be healed, but she's going to go out of the camp for seven days. And so they don't go anywhere until Miriam is healed. And then they can move on after that towards, uh, the wilderness of Paran, um, like Sherry had pointed out as we started off where we've got that, uh, mapped out in, uh, at 10, is that where we started? Yeah. 10, where it says we're going from here to here. Mm-hmm. So we get to Paran at the end of, um, 16 at the, I'm sorry, at the end of chapter 12 or 16. Mm-hmm. Okay. So very quickly observations, ladies, Joe, I'm going to start with you since, uh, I haven't started with you yet and then we'll work our way around. Well, my version says Ethiopian woman, which mm-hmm. I think is the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. But so, yes. and her father was um, Midianite, right? I thought this was talking about someone other than Zipporah. That was my impression. Yeah. And I have more questions yeah. about oh, that, but I'll let you know. okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And I saw it more as condescension toward Moses, but maybe because he married an outsider. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's what I was picking up is that they were upset because this is somebody that is not from the God's people. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is like why would he be chosen chosen if he is marrying somebody outside the tribe? Like right. looking down on him for that reason. Mm-hmm. It would be you would have to have a lot of nerve to look down on Moses right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it personally. No. Yeah, well, but family, brother. I was going to say, but family, <laughs> that's different. Yeah, that's, that's, right. Yeah. that's right. So anyway, any other things no, that you, no. okay, Elizabeth? I've heard this spun as a racism thing, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to bring it up, or I mean, I brought it up, but I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> go into too much detail, because I do yeah. think the more important thing is that it's someone who is not an Israelite. Um, I could also see this being a problem if, like, Zipporah was still alive and it's, like, a polygamy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I I do think it was jealousy and not, like, a good underlying reason to question Moses or else God wouldn't react the way he did. Like, mm-hmm. if they had a valid critique against Moses, like, hey, Moses, you shouldn't be doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. Then God probably would have handled the situation differently. And it reminded me a lot of, like, a parent just, like, handling a an argument between their kids like all right you 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 you're all gonna stand right here we're gonna talk this out we're gonna mm-hmm. nip this in the bud mm-hmm. um which is especially funny since it is like siblings fighting yeah. mm-hmm. they're like children even though they these are grown adults that have been mm-hmm. let out of slavery and are talking directly to god and i do think the point that that god makes that he does speak directly to moses whereas even the prophets he'll speak to in dreams mm-hmm is really important. It's also really cool for us to think that God kind of speaks directly to us through his word. Um, uh, that was just a little side point. And then the last thing I wanted to bring out is that God very easily could have struck down both Aaron and Miriam with mm-hmm. leprosy, but I feel like there had to be some reason that it was just Miriam. Maybe because Aaron was like the high priest. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like you can't be unclean with leprosy if you were literally the high priest and going before God on a consistent basis. But it could also be because he repented immediately that he wasn't Mm -hmm. struck down with that. I don't know. Those things stood out to me, but I don't necessarily have answers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Sherry, I want to get you to wrap us up. Just, um, I thought the same things that 
that um, uh, so the fact that she was leprous made her unclean. So, um, and God is making that point that okay, even if you know, even if she was unclean for some other reason, she would still have to stay outside the camp for seven days. Yeah. So the fact that she was unclean, I think that speaks to why maybe Aaron wasn't struck with leprosy as well. Um, also, just um, again, we see God, the cloud, mm -hmm. um, when God, um, verses 9 and 10, notice that when God departs, so does the cloud. Yeah. So he comes down, the cloud is there, God's there. He leaves, and it says the cloud's lifted. And mm -hmm. when the cloud was lifted, she was leprous. So, so um, just that continual reference to when the cloud's there, God's there. When God leaves, the cloud leaves. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that, I've, I've said this before, that I think leprosy represents sin <clears throat> in the Bible. And I think this is another uh, example of that. Yeah. Okay, thank you all so much. I appreciate all the thoughts um, and observations uh, throughout this section. And next time uh, we'll be going through a little bit further uh, into this narrative uh, throughout Numbers. Thanks so much for listening.